Timbuktu by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Read for LibriVox.org by Larry Wilson. A poem which obtained the Chancellor's Medal at the Cambridge Commencement, 1829, by A. Tennyson of Trinity College. Printed in the Cambridge Chronicle and Journal of Friday, July 10, 1829, and at the University Press by James Smith, among the Perlusiones Academicae Promius, Anuus Dignante et Incuria Contabriginensi Recitate Comitis Maximus, 1829. Republished in Cambridge Prize Poems, 1813-1858, by Messrs. Macmillan in 1859, without alteration, and in 1893 in the appendix to a reprint of poems by two brothers. Timbuktu. Deep in that line haunted inland lies a mystic city, goal of a high emprise. Chapman. Footnote. Mr. Swinburne failed to find this couplet in any of Chapman's original poems or translations, and was of the opinion that it is Tennyson's own. In footnote. I stood upon the mountain which o'erlooks the narrow seas, whose rapid interval parts Afric from green Europe, where the sun had fallen below the Atlantic, and above the silent heavens were blenched with fairy light, uncertain whether fairy light or cloud, flowing southward, and the chasms of deep, deep blue slumbered unfathomable, and the stars were flooded over with clear glory and pale. I gazed upon the sheeny coast beyond, there where the giant of old time infixed the limits of his prowess pillars high long time erased from earth even as the sea when weary of wild inroad buildeth up huge mounds whereby to stay his yeasty waves and much i mused on legends quaint and old which whilom won the hearts of all on earth toward their brightness even as flame draws air but had there been in the heart of man as air is the life of flame and thou wert then a centred glory circled memory divinest atlantis whom the waves had buried deep and thou of later name imperial el dorado rooted with gold shadows to which despite all shocks of change all onset of capricious accident men clung with yearning hope which would not die as when in some great city where the walls shake and the streets with ghastly faces thronged do utter forth a subterranean voice among their inner columns far retired at midnight in the lone acropolis before the awful genius of the place kneels the pale priestess in deep faith the while above her head the weak lamp dips and winks unto the fearful summoning without nathless she ever clasps the marble knees bathes the cold hand with tears and gazeth on those eyes which wear no light but that wherewith her fantasy informs them where are ye thrones of the western wave fair islands green where are your moonlight halls your cedarn glooms the blossoming abysses of your hills your flowering capes and your gold-sanded bays blown round with happy airs of odorous winds where are the infinite ways which seraph trod wound through your great elysian solitudes whose lowest depths were as with visible love filled with divine effulgence circumfused flowing between the clear and polished stems and ever circling round their emerald cones in coronals and glories such as gird the unfading foreheads of the saints in heaven for nothing visible they say hath birth in that blessed ground but it was played about 
with its peculiar glory. Then I raised my voice and cried, Wide Africa, doth thy sun lighten thy hills and fold the city as fair as those which starred the night of the elder world? Or is the rumor of thy Timbuktu a dream as frail as those of ancient time? A curve of whitening, flashing, ebbing light, a rustling of white wings, the bright descent of a young seraph, and he stood beside me there on the ridge and looked into my face with his unutterable shining orbs, so that with hasty motion I did veil my vision with both hands, and saw before me such colored spots as danced athwart the eyes of those that gaze upon the noonday sun, girt with a zone of flashing gold beneath his breast, and compassed round about his brow with triple arch of ever-changing bows, and encircled with the glory of living light, and alternations of all hues he stood, O oh, child of man, why muse you here alone upon the mountain, on the dreams of old which filled the earth with passing loveliness, which flung strange music on the howling winds, and odors wrapped from remote paradise? Thy senses clogged with dull mortality, thy spirit fettered with the bond of clay. Open thine eye and see. I looked, but not upon his face, for it was wonderful with its exceeding brightness and the light of the great angel mind which looked from out the starry glowing of his restless eyes. I felt my soul grow mighty, and my spirit with supernatural excitation bound within me, and my mental eye grew large with such a vast circumference of thought that in my vanity I seemed to stand upon the outward verge and bound alone of full beatitude. Each failing sense, as with a momentary flash of light, grew thrillingly distinct and keen. I saw the smallest grain that dappled the dark earth, the indistinctest atom in deep air, the moon's white cities, and the opal width of her small glowing lakes, her silver heights unvisited with dew of vagrant cloud, and the unsounded, undescended depth of her black hollows, the clear galaxy shorn of its hoary luster, wonderful, distinct, and vivid, with sharp points of light, blaze within blaze, an unimagined depth of harmony of planet-girded suns, and moon-encircled planets, wheel in wheel, arched the wan sapphire, nay, the hum of men or other things, talking in unknown tongues, and notes of busy life in distant worlds, beat like a far wave on my anxious ear, a maze of piercing, trackless, thrilling thoughts, involving and embracing each with each rapid as fire inextricably linked expanding momently with every sight and sound which struck the palpitating sense the issue of strong impulse hurried through the riven wrapped brain as when in some large lake from pressure of descendant crags which lapse disjointed crumbling from their parent slope at slender interval the level calm is ridged with restless and increasing spheres which break upon each other, each the effect of separate impulse, but more fleet and strong than its precursor, till the eyes in vain amid the wild unrest of swimming shade, dappled with hollow and alternate rise of unpenetrated arc would scan definite round. I know not if I shape these things with accurate similitude from visible objects, for but dimly now, less vivid than a half-forgotten dream, the memory of that mental excellence comes o'er me, and it may be I entwine the indecision of my present mind with its past clearness, 
yet it seems to me as even then the torrent of quick thought absorbed me from the nature of itself with its own fleetness where is he that borne adown the sloping of an arrowy stream could link his shallop to the fleeting edge and muse midway with philosophic calm upon the wondrous laws which regulate the fierceness of the bounding element my thoughts which long had groveled in the slime of this dull world like dusky worms which house beneath unshaken waters but at once upon some earth awakening day of spring do pass from gloom to glory and aloft winnow the purple bearing on both sides double display of starlit wings which burn fan-like and fibred with intensest bloom e'en so my thoughts erewhile so low now felt unutterable buoyancy and strength to bear them upward through the trackless fields of undefined existence far and free then first within the south methought i saw a wilderness of spires a crystal pile of rampart upon rampart dome on dome illimitable range of battlement on battlement and the imperial height of canopy or canopied behind in diamond light unsprung the dazzling cones of pyramids as far surpassing earth's as heaven than earth is fairer each aloft upon his renowned eminence bore globes of wheeling suns or stars or semblances of either showing circular abyss of radiance but the glory of the place stood out a pillared front of burnished gold interminably high if gold it were or metal more ethereal and beneath two doors of blinding brilliance where no gaze might rest stood open and the eye could scan through length of porch and lake and boundless hall part of a throne of fiery flame wherefrom the snowy skirting of garment hung and glimpse of multitudes of multitudes that ministered round it if i saw these things distinctly for my human brain staggered beneath the vision and thick night came down upon my eyelids and i fell with ministering hands he raised me up then with a mournful and ineffable smile which but to look on for a moment filled my eyes with irresistible sweet tears in accents of majestic melody like a swollen river's gushing in still night mingled with floating music thus he spake there is no mightier spirit than i to sway the heart of man and teach him to attain by shadowing forth the unattainable and step by step to scale the mighty star whose landing place is wrapped about with clouds of glory of heaven with earliest light of spring and in the glow of sallow summer-tide and in red autumn with the winds are wild with gambols and when full-voiced winter roofs the headland with inviolate white snow I play about his heart in a thousand ways, visit his eyes with visions and his ears with harmonies of wind and wave and wood, of wind which tell of waters, and of waters betraying the close kisses of the wind, and win him unto me, and few there be so gross of heart who have not felt and known a higher than they see. They with dim eyes behold me darkling. Lo, I have given thee to understand my presence and to feel my fullness i have filled thy lips with power i have raised thee higher to the spheres of heaven man's first last home and thou with ravished sense listenest the lordly music flowing from the illimitable years i am the spirit the permeating life which courseth through all the intricate and labyrinthine veins of the great vine of fable which outspread with growth of shadowing leaf and clusters rare reacheth to every corner under heaven 
deep-rooted in the living soil of truth so that men's hopes and fears take refuge in the fragrance of its complicated glooms and cool impeached twilights child of man seest thou yon river whose translucent wave forth issuing from darkness windeth through the argent streets of the city imagining the soft inversion of her tremulous domes her gardens frequent with the stately palm her pagodes hung with music of sweet bells her obelisks of ranged chrysolite minarets and towers lo how he passeth by and gulfs himself in sands as not enduring to carry through the worlds those waves which bore the reflex of my city in their depths o city o latest throne where i was raised to be a mystery of loveliness unto all eyes the time is well nigh come when i must render up this glorious home to keen discovery soon yon brilliant tower shall darken with the waving of her wand darken and shrink and shiver into huts black specks amid a waste of dreary sand low-built mud-walled barbarian settlement how changed from this fair city thus far the spirit then parted heavenward on the wing and i was left alone on kelp and the moon had fallen from the night and all was dark the following review of timbuktu was published in the athenium of twenty second july eighteen twenty nine we have accustomed ourselves to think perhaps without any very good reason that poetry was likely to perish among us for a considerable period after the great generation of poets which is now passing away the age seems determined to contradict us and that in the most decided manner for it has put forth poetry by a young man and that where we should least expect it namely in a prize poem these productions have often been ingenious and elegant but we have never before seen one of them which indicated really first-rate poetical genius and which would have done honor to any men that ever wrote such we do not hesitate to affirm is the little work before us and the examiners seem to have felt it like ourselves for they have assigned the prize to the author though the measure in which he writes was never before we believe thus selected for honor we extract a few lines to justify our admiration fifty lines sixty-two to one twelve quoted how many men have lived for a century who could equal this at the time when this highly eulogistic notice of the youthful unknown poet appeared the athenium was edited by john sterling and frederick denison maurice its then proprietors end of poem this recording is in the public domain